Let's pray. You can have a seat if you want. Dear God, we thank you that you have been the same forever. And I, I think this morning of Cheryl's friend who's struggling because she's not sure that God can be the same right now because of the struggles in her life. And I know that we all have those moments, and COVID certainly has created new ones. But I pray, God, that uh, we can be encouraged, that we can be strong, and that we will hear clearly the whisper of your voice telling us what the truth is, because there's a lot of Kool-Aid out there, God. It's hard to figure out what the truth is. And so we turn to you on this day, asking you for the answer to some of that. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. You know, when you become a pastor in a new location, you really listen close, closely to people, and, and, and they say all different kinds of things, and, and you, you want to get it all right. You, you really do. And you, you listen to the things they say and the way they talk, and, and you want to get it all right. And, and Bob Appleton, I've been here for a couple of weeks, he said, now, Jim, if it's possible... We don't want to go in the valleys. We'd like to stay on top of the mountain. And I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, I, I wish I could stay on top of the mountain, but the reality is, is even for those of you who are 46, or the goal is to get to the top, take a picture with that little, that little medallion that says you're at the top, and then you've got to go back down the mountain. And if we're really honest, we don't live at the top of the mountain, do we? Uh, we live in the valleys, and I'm sure that for some people, when they were with Jesus, when he was doing the Sermon on the Mount, on that mountain, it was awesome. He was saying these life-giving things, and he was talking in this way that was incredible. But then all of a sudden, there was the amen at the end of the sermon. And I learned something this week. Um, next week, we're going to have Julia and Romel um, share, because I, I did a Zoom call with them. And he said, if you're going to do an amen right in Honduran, you have to say it twice because we don't know you're done until you say it the second time. But Jesus said amen the second time, and he went down the mountain. And usually when people preach through the Sermon on the Mount, that's where they end. When Jesus says the amen, and we, we find out about that we, we end the sermon series there because we've done chapters 5 through 7. But I was very encouraged by um, one of the guys that I was reading to help me think this through. His name is D.A. Carson. And he believes that the Sermon on the Mount is as important in chapters 8 and 9 as it was in chapter 7. In other words, we, we've done the Sermon on the Mount, and, and now we need to do the sermon that's down from the mountain. Okay? Uh, we, we've had the red letters spoken but, but chapters 8 and 9 are interesting because chapters 8 and 9 are about the red letters being experienced. All of a sudden, we watch Jesus come down from the mountain, and there is a series of ten miracles, and there is some specific teaching about what it means to follow Jesus Christ as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to go down the mountain too. I'm sorry, Bob, but we're not going to stay on the peak. We're going to go into the valley, and, and we're, going to, we're going to go through this experience of seeing out what can we learn from the life of Christ and, and what he is teaching at this point. He says this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. He says, 
when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So he came down from the mountain, but he didn't come down from the mountain alone. He came down from the mountain with a whole group of people that followed him. In fact, if you went to the end of chapter 7, it says this. It says, they were astonished because he spoke with such authority. Now we're going to begin to see that not only did he speak with authority, but that he lived with authority. And when he came down from the mountain, he wasn't alone. Now, we need to realize that we do not live life in a bubble where it's just us. We live our life around other people. And those people are watching us all the time. I'll give you an example of how I know people are watching people today. Every one of you is more aware of license plates than you ever were before six months ago. Right? We are, we're aware of license plates. Every one of you actually probably knows the 31 states that are on the naughty list. This is information that we didn't used to carry about. But all of a sudden now you see a license plate and you're like, okay, in my mind, are they in a naughty state? What are they doing here? How long have they been here? Are they, you know, we're, we're just thinking differently. I think that people, all kinds of people, were watching Jesus and they watched everything he did and I think that everything he did was very intentional. And I think that the way Matthew put things together was because he wanted us to learn some things that are very unique about Jesus. And the first three miracles talk about Jesus Christ crossing some barriers. And that's what is the challenge in our society today. But we're going to take a look at this and we're going to see that Jesus Christ begins crossing barriers. If you read in verse 2, it says this, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You see... Um, we probably need a little background here, so let's go back to Leviticus, because this basically tells what should happen if a person is a leper. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothing and let their hair hang loose from their head, and he shall cover up his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. This was not an easy thing. Basically, the society decided that because of this disease, isn't this interesting? Okay, that this person was unclean. And they had to go around wearing the uniform of the leper. And the uniform of the leper was basically to look like a homeless person. Unkept hair, shredded clothing, and everywhere they went, they had to remind people and themselves that they were not clean. That they were unclean. That they were untouchable. In fact, it said that if you touched a person like this, you were not supposed to go into the temple until you were, went through a cleansing process. And so not only did it contaminate you, but it contaminated other people. It's ironic that I think... There was only a 10-day quarantine process for this. Today we have a 14-day quarantine process. But, But they were considered the untouchables in their society. So Jesus Christ has these crowds following them, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the crowd, somebody starts yelling, unclean, unclean. And you know what? That parted that crowd immediately. You know? 
It'd be like somebody today announcing they're from Georgia. You know, it will part the crowd immediately because they're in the naughty states, right? And this person walked all the way. You saw it here. What did he do? And he knelt before Jesus and he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You see, there's something happening here. This leper realized that this Savior, this person speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, had authority. And the thing that he had authority over is he had authority over disease. And he knelt before the Lord and he said, Lord, if you are willing, can you imagine? He lived a life of humility to start with. And yet he humbled himself at the cross of Christ, at at the foot of Christ. Verse 3 tells us what happened. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. Now, the second that Jesus touched this person, I I can imagine that the crowd that is now dispersed at least six feet away from the leper, okay? I bet you there was a collective... (gasps) as they watched Jesus touch this unclean person. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leper was cleansed. That's the coolest thing about Jesus. It doesn't come later. He didn't have to quarantine for 14 more days and take another test. He was clean in that moment. You see, that leper did not cause Jesus to become unclean. That leper was clean by the the Savior, the Holy One of God. Because the cool thing about Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ is willing to go to those who are untouchable and touch them and make them clean. And you know what? I I was unclean. I was a spiritual leper. My sin separated me from God. And your sin separated you from God. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, right? And when we humbled ourselves and said, Lord, please forgive my sins, He reached down into our heart of hearts and He touched us and He made us clean forever. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that a wonderful thought? And and yet Satan watches our lives and he, he looks at our struggle in the flesh and he sees that we still do wrong things. He's in the crowd of our lives and every time he's saying, oh, you're not clean. But he was clean. But here's the interesting thing about Jesus. And Jesus said to him, see to it that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. You see, Jesus Christ lived under the authority of the law he created. He was the authority. He could clean and he could, he could cleanse and he could heal, but he was a man who lived under authority. And I think that's important for us to remember because there are some Christians who've decided, I'm saved so I don't have to live under authority. I'm saved so I can do whatever I want because I'm going to heaven and it doesn't matter anymore. I got my get-out-of-jail-free card so now I can act however I want. 
And they make a sham of the grace that is ours. But I think it's interesting that the thing that Jesus wanted him to do, and, and some of the commentaries have this long discussion, why did Jesus tell him to do this? Because Jesus Christ was trying to make a difference in the religious people too. In these people that would be so cynical with him. If you read the story of Jesus, there's nobody more cynical than people who are already religious. And so he was following the law and he told him i want you to go and do this and and the, they'll bring a certification and all of a sudden you will be clean not just on the inside but you will be recognized as clean by the society and do you know what that meant that meant that for the first time in his life since a leper he could go to the temple of jesus christ and he could worship for the first time he could walk down the road wearing normal clothes and not having to, in a harsh and probably a hoarse voice, say unclean, unclean, because you know what? He was no longer dirty. That's what Jesus told him to do. If you read Mark, this is what he did. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and he spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was in but was out in desolate places, and the people coming to him, from, there were people coming to him from every quarter. You see, Jesus Christ knew that this would change his ministry, and yet he was willing to let it change his ministry. That's the first thing that Jesus is willing to do. We need to remember that. In our minds, there are people that we see as untouchable. And in our minds, there are moments that we feel untouchable. And you need to remember that the hand of God is willing to step out and touch you and offer you what it is instead of what you are. Jesus Christ will always reach out and touch the untouchable. Now, there were other groups that Jesus would come and encounter with. And the next one we see here is, and when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him and it was appealing to him. Now, a centurion would have been like an NCO, a non-commissioned officer in the Roman army. And if you were a Jewish person, you didn't like these people very much. They really were your enemy. And that's how they were viewed. They were viewed as these people that were your enemy. And, and Jesus Christ all of a sudden had this crowd that's following him and, and he's heading over to Capernaum, which is right there on the shore. You know, it'd be like coming right here to Lake Placid, right here on the shore. And as he was going there, all of a sudden the centurion came to him and he appealed to him. Now, what do you think the popular thing to do at this point would have been if a Roman would appeal to him, the popular thing, the Jewish thing at that point, would have been to rebuff him. This is what he asked. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And this is what Jesus said. And Jesus said to him, I will go, I will come, and I will heal him. Okay? I will come and I will heal him. 
You know, the hardest thing to do is to go to our enemies, isn't it? The hardest thing to go to do is to go to those that hate us, those that hurt us. Jesus Christ was willing to touch the untouchable. And Jesus Christ was willing to go into the camp of the enemy. But, but listen to how the centurion responds. He said, but the centurion replied, Lord, I am, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. And he goes on in verse 9 and he says, I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and then to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. In other words, he recognized the authority of Jesus. And he was saying, you know, you don't have to come to where I am. All, all you really need to do is just say the word. J- just, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. I think that there are certain times in our lives that because of what is going on in our lives, that doesn't seem like enough when it comes to God. Dear God, I'm going through a hard time. Just say the word and take care of this. Right? No, we we go on and we give details. Now this is how I want you to do it, God. Because we're we're co-equal in the kingdom. You don't have authority over me. You're my brother. And so we are trying to tell God what to do. But he says, just say the word. It, it, we read in Scripture in verse 10, it says, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said this to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now it's interesting. You know, a normal rabbi talked in third person. That's a normal person of authority in the jewish culture talked in third person and so they would do things like this they would quote someone else but for jesus to say this jesus is saying something really interesting jesus is saying i am co-equal with god i tell you no one in all of israel has have i found such a faith what, what a beautiful thing. And, and I hope that when, when we, in our relationships with God, when we struggle, that we can still come to that point where we look to God and we say, just, God, just say the word. I, I trust you. you know? that's, that's kind of a big deal around here, right? Trust God more. And do we not have moments every day where we have those opportunities to trust God a little bit more? Yeah, we do. Jesus went on and said this. He says, But I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You see, they realized that when Messiah came, that there was going to be a banquet, and everybody who was in the kingdom was going to recline at that banquet. And Jesus Christ was saying something interesting here. We're going to invite non-Jewish people to the banquet. People are going to come from the east and the west and they're, they're, going to, they're going to be a part of the banquet. And usually, you know, usually the way they spoke of somebody being wayward in the Jewish kingdom was, well, you know, they're a little bit east. Or they're, they're headed west. And now all of a sudden, the people from the east and the west, are you not thankful for this? 
we don't have a lot of Jewish people in this room today. And I'm sure there's not a lot of Jewish people out there in our audience today. But the reality is, is that we all get to be at the banquet. Aren't we looking forward to that? But then he says this. You see, there's a kingdom celebration, but there's a kingdom surprise. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into utter darkness, into the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, he's explaining something here that's really hard. Just because you have a certain heritage doesn't mean you get to be in the kingdom. The entrance to the kingdom is different than that. And, and, and we've heard people say that. I've asked people saying, so do you have a Christian faith? And they'll tell me, well, my grandpa was a pastor. Okay, well, that's awesome. You know? But do you have a Christian faith? Well, well, because he had a faith, I get it, right? No, I don't think we get to look inside your chromosomes and find little things in the shapes of crosses and go, oh, they're in. No. This is a personal decision. You know? Isaiah? You can't have your dad's faith. You have to have your own. You know, that's the reality. Uh, that's how this works. Is We don't get somebody else's faith. We have to have our own faith. And he was saying, some of you are going to be surprised because you think you're in the kingdom, but the reality is, is you're next to the kingdom. You're around people of the kingdom, but you're not in the kingdom. That, that's a scary thought, isn't it? He was telling these people that were Jewish people, proud Jewish people, they kept all the Jewish customs and did all the good Jewish things. He was telling them that that was not enough to be into the kingdom. I'm sure that some people, when they heard these words, were offended twice. First, they were offended because there was going to be non-Jews in the kingdom. And second of all, they were offended because he said there were Jewish people that didn't get to be in the kingdom. You see, there's this another thing that we need to see here is that Jesus Christ is willing to cross an important boundary here. And does this not sound like today? Jesus is willing to cross the racial boundary and let His enemy be His friend. And He's not telling them, you come to Me. He's saying, I will go to you. It's a different kind of kingdom. When we come down from the mountain, we have to be willing to touch the untouchable. And when we come down from the mountain, we've got to be willing to do what he said on top of the mountain, which he says, love your enemies, right? Pray for those who persecute you. These are not easy things. He goes on and says, Into the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you, for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. You know, I think we can get this one a little twisted because sometimes people will say, well, you know, you see, you read that thing there in chapter 8 and, and you prayed for healing and you didn't get healed. Obviously, it's because you don't have enough faith. No, that's not what this is about. Healing was to demonstrate Jesus' authority it wasn't to demonstrate a person's faith. And sometimes God in his authority looks down and we pray desperately for something and he looks at us and he smiles and he says, I would love to do you for that for you, but the answer is no. Because there's something better that I have in my glory that you can't understand. 
And some of us should understand that because there are times there are kids ask things of us, don't they? And they really, really want them and they think it's going to be really cool and we look at them and we smile so soon you'll be doing this. answer today but this isn't the end of the story because he and when he travels to Capernaum he goes to Peter's house and you know what they've actually kind of figured out where they think maybe Peter's house was and when we went to Capernaum it was really kind of interesting I think the most interesting thing for me was I was in Capernaum and I thought Jesus although maybe not this exact us Jesus walked here and this was, this was the headquarters of Jesus' ministry. Even in Israel, right now, when you enter Capernaum, the little town, it says, headquarters of Jesus of Nazareth. It's really kind of cool. And of course, they built a church on top of where Peter lived. Okay? Because that's where Jesus would have gone. And that's where he was headed. And it says this, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying there sick with the fever. The key words here, if you were to take something and, and, and say what the key words of this is, the key words are that Jesus saw. Okay? Because in Jewish culture, women were invisible. That's the reality. Is that um, women were seen as invisible by that culture. And so they were unnoticed. It's just like in, in everyday culture, today there are certain people that are around us all the time, but we don't notice them. My daughter right now is working at one of the hotels in town, and she is a, a, uh, one of the house cleaners. And you know what? For the most part, people don't see the house cleaner. They see their cart and they walk around, but they don't understand that there's a person connected to that. They're invisible. In Jewish culture, women were invisible. And it's interesting because the words that we have to see, and maybe the words that you should even underline in your Bible, are these words. He saw. Jesus Christ saw her. And that she was laying there sick. This is really important because I think that there are many people that feel absolutely invisible. You know? They, they feel like nobody sees them. They feel like that. And some of them, because they're invisible, they live as victims, as visible. Nobody sees me. Nobody loves me. I'm going to go eat worms. You know, that, that kind of a mindset is what they have. But Jesus can see the invisible. And this is what he did. And he says, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve. You see, this is also interesting because, once again, we see what Jesus does to the invisible is that Jesus touches the invisible. In Jewish culture at that time, if a woman was sick and had a fever and you touched her, you were considered unclean. But there was a more important thing going on. Jesus touched her and she became clean. Not he didn't, the, the transfer wasn't the other direction. This is the point that he's making. He's, he saw and he touched and as you read on in the passage, David, you're going to have to click it here because it says, and go back to verse 16. It says, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons 
and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. And then verse 17 comes. This was to fill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took on our illnesses, and he bore our diseases. You have to remember that when this was written, this would have been written after Jesus died and was raised from the dead. And this was written by a contemplative man. This was written by Matthew, the tax collector. And after he told these first three miracles, the miracle of the untouchable, the miracle of the enemy, and the miracle of the invisible, he reflected. And he reflected, and he used a verse from Isaiah that we know. In fact, here it is. In Isaiah it says this. It says, Surely... Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. You see, at this moment, it looked like just a little deal. He just healed some people that were diseased. He, he, just, he just reached out and, and He touched some people that were outside the kingdom. He, he just noticed somebody, but, but all of a sudden P, Matthew starts reflecting on this idea and he says, wow, this is huge. In fact, if you read in another chapter, it says this in chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, it says this, it says, there will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstop." Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute begin to shout for joy. And then it says in verse 34, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we consider Him stricken by God, smitten by God, and afflicted. In 1 Peter, 1 Peter reflected on the same idea and it says this. This is what he said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He said, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might be die, die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. You see, this was bigger than just the little healings that were going on there. This was a picture of the cross that He would die on someday. You see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, I, I wrote it down for myself because I just thought it was so important. If you were untouchable an outcast, disqualified, Jesus will touch you. If you are an enemy, slighted, racially separated, hated, Jesus will come to you. If you are invisible, undervalued, overlooked, Jesus will see you. More than physical maladies, racial prejudices, and gender biases, Jesus will wants to save our souls. He wants to be our deliverer. When He died, He took all of the hate, sin-organized sickness, cultural views that devalued, all of this He took on Himself. And with the wrong that the world was before and now and even into the future, all of this, All of this was poured into the body of Jesus Christ. All the disease. All the hate. All the unrighteousness was poured 
into the body of Jesus Christ. More importantly, all of your sin, your hatred, your indifference, your racial biases, all of those things were poured into the body of Jesus Christ. Because more than just being a deliverer of a a group of people that happened to be hanging out in the first century around Galilee in the town of Capernaum, Jesus Christ died on the cross in Jerusalem so that you and I could be forever changed. There is a healing that God wants to do that we need to understand because more than being their deliverer, He wants to be our deliverer. And more than being our deliverer, He wants to be your deliverer. And when He does that, all of a sudden, we can touch the untouchable, can't we? We can love our enemies because we can't do it in and of ourselves. And we begin to see the invisible And our lives are forever changed. But we can't make these changes ourselves. There's no more special training, new laws, special gatherings that are going to solve these problems that are around us. We have to solve them here. I love G.K. Chesterton and what he said when when the New York, uh, when the London Times said, how do we solve what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with the world? And he just turned in a small little excerpt and he says, this is my response. I am the problem. Me. And I need to be changed. We are at an interesting crossroad in our society today. COVID tired everybody out, so then everybody had permission to be more angry than they ever were before. And in that moment, it exposed all the things that are ugly and wrong with our society. And the truest answer to those things in no tripe ways whatsoever is this Jesus because I can't change the soul of a person to stop hating someone else I I can't change the soul of a person to be mad when somebody shows up to do a crazy event all by themselves but there are a lot of people in this community upset because some people showed up to run their Iron Man anyway I can't control who wears a mask. I don't know if people are quarantining. I I, I have no control over those things. But this one thing I do have control over is that I can be like the leper and I can get down on my knees and I can say, Lord, will you make me clean? And he will. And he will change me and he will change other people. And so here's my question to you today. Have you been changed by Jesus yet? Has he made you clean? Are you living like the cleanliness that he gave you? Or are you still living like the person you were before you met Jesus? For some of you, this is a first-time decision. 
And you need to decide today what you're going to do with Jesus. Are you going to humbly kneel before the cross that he died on? That's not the actual cross, but there is one there. And say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. Like David did years ago. And was forever changed on the inside. You see, some of you, you just need to pray that prayer and say, Lord, you need to clean me because I'm dirty and I can't clean myself. It's like the little child eating chocolate cake and you'll go to clean them up and they'll say, I will do it myself. And they take the chocolate cake that's all over their hands and they wipe it, thinking that somehow that's going to clean us. And that's what we're doing. We're taking the sin in our lives and we're wiping it on as a sin in our lives and it's not cleaning us. We need Jesus to clean us. So maybe today you need a Savior. Or maybe today you need to live under the authority of the Savior who is also your Lord. Those are your decisions. Let's pray. Dear God, when I was a a youth pastor years ago, we used to sing a song song that said, Jesus is the answer for the world today. When I think about today, I think about the fact that it really does need a Savior today that will touch the untouchable, a Savior that will love the hated, invite them in instead of shun them, Today, the society needs a Savior that will see the invisible and reach out and bring healing to it. God, we can just get mad about all the things that we see around us, and yet we pray that we'd have God eyes today to see those things. And that we'd be like our Savior and we'd live under the authority of the God that loves us. Forgive us for freelancing, for thinking we know better. Help us to follow you more closely. God, when I was invisible, you saw me. When I was untouchable, you reached out to me. When I was your enemy, you died for me. I don't understand it, but I love your grace and your love and your faithfulness. God, you went down that mountain, but you went up another one for each one of us on Calvary. Thank you for what you did on Calvary for us. So sometimes we'll be on the mountain sometimes we'll be in the valley but we pray that no matter where we are that you will lead and guide us and that we will touch and see and go just like you went for us we pray this in your name amen I was finishing up my message on Wednesday and came to worship practice and we sang this song that we, this new song, and uh, I just felt like it really was exactly.